out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us, especially our visitors today. We hope you'll come back and be with us any time we have the opportunity. Our lesson for today continues a series of lessons that we are doing on the final days of Jesus on earth. We started with the Jer Jerusalem entry and we've come now to the garden prayer. Last week we talked about the Lord's Supper and all of these things are significant to us as far as Christianity is concerned and our, our belief in Jesus. The prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane is closer to being the Lord's Prayer than the model prayer of Matthew 6. The prayer of Matthew 6 is memorized by many and it was a model. It was used as a model of the way that Jesus' disciples should pray. It was Jesus' way of teaching them how to pray. But as we come to this lesson on the prayer of the garden, as we look at Jesus' own words to his Father regarding what was to come, uh, regarding humanity, regarding what would be, we see that this prayer was Jesus' prayer. It was a prayer of pain, a prayer of suffering, a prayer of agony. It was a prayer of deep concern. It was a plea for deliverance from such an awful situation. So as we look at this lesson today, we have a couple of different objectives. I like to give objectives as far as our lessons are concerned. First of all, to learn more about Jesus. That's what this is all about. Our series is all in the attitude of learning, learning more about Jesus, who He was, who He is, who He is to us. And in this lesson, we want to learn more about His pain and suffering as he prepared to go to the cross. How he felt about the cross and what it stood for. His love for his disciples and those willing to follow him. And we want to better understand the meaning of the cross as well as Jesus' resurrection from the dead and how these apply to us today. Uh, for those of you that are visiting, in your bulletin there are sermon notes. We do this every week for our sermons. Uh, you can follow along with the outline and, and even fill in some blanks if you would like. Um, hopefully that will be, be helpful to you. But our first point for this morning, as we look at Matthew 26, this is going to be our text. We're going to begin in verse 31. and We'll read through the prayer. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 26, as we get into verse 31, forsaken by all. Matthew 26, 31, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, 
Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. As we look at the first couple of verses here, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is telling them about what is to occur. And he says that they would be made to stumble. And they would be scattered. This would be the fulfillment of prophecy. As you look to the Old Testament, look at the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, and beginning with verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little one. Following his death, he would be resurrected and would go before them into Galilee. This promise was made. But Peter, Peter, we often see him as outspoken, as we often refer to him, maybe. He was the one that, that spoke really before he thought. And when we look at, at what Peter says here, he says that even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. It's almost as if in some respect he's kind of throwing the others under the bus in a way. Even if these stumble, not me, it will not be me. And we understand also from from another account, that Jesus provides encouragement for what Peter should do after his denial of Jesus. Jesus' reply to him here is, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But we're also told in Luke 22, and beginning with verse 31, Luke 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter was so sure of himself, and yet we see in time of temptation, he fell. He failed his Lord. He, he denied knowing him. I imagine that the other disciples that were with Jesus... I imagine that they all felt the same way that Peter did. That, that none of them, none of them were capable of ever denying Jesus or ever turning their backs on Him. 
All were ready to go to the grave before allowing Jesus to suffer the things He was explaining to them. Not one of them thought that they would ever leave Jesus, that they would ever forsake Him. And yet they did. What would you do? If you were one of the disciples, if Jesus was speaking to you, how would you have responded? We may have responded similarly to, to the way that Peter responded. Not I. Not I. Can we come to the main portion of our text for this lesson? Matthew 26 and verses 36 through 46. Matthew 26 beginning with verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again. And prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Three disciples are mentioned here as going a little farther into the garden with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Jesus leaving the other disciples at the entrance of Gethsemane took these three with him. Is there any significance to the three that went with Jesus? There were a couple of other occasions 
in which these three are mentioned throughout Scripture. One is in the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus uh, was transfigured, these three are the ones that witnessed it. Matthew 17 and beginning with verse 1. Matthew 17 and verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. These three are the ones that were there in Matthew 17. And another occasion, the healing of Jairus' daughter. In Mark 5, in verses 21 through 39, Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. We read this. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and throned him. And we read in verse 35, Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. Peter, James, and John were very close to Jesus. And these three were taken into the garden with him. Also, as we look at these three, we see them after his death, burial, and resurrection. John. John was the only one to remain with Jesus through his crucifixion. Though all the disciples forsook him, at least for a time, we see that John was present when Jesus was on the cross. In John 19, verses 25 through 27, John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour... That disciple took her to his own home. 
It's interesting to me that John is the only one that records this. But it's very fitting in that John was the only one of the writers that witnessed it. John would later receive the revelation from Jesus as we've been studying in the book of Revelation in our Bible classes on Sunday mornings. John was, was very special. He was the one that referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Not that Jesus loved him any more than the others, but he was the one whom Jesus loved. Let's look at Peter. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, was the one that spoke the sermon in the establishment of the church. Now Peter had done a great many things before this. We read of Peter and, and we actually, um, several months ago now, uh, we actually did a, a study of the life of Peter. And as we look at Peter, we see that, that Peter was the one that uh, when Jesus came walking to them on the water, he was the one that wanted to walk to Jesus. Now, he, his faith did wane, and, and he did begin to sink. But just the fact that Peter began to walk on water, that he was willing to do that, says a great deal about Peter. We've been studying about the, the church, and and in Matthew chapter 16, we know that Peter was the one that spoke up and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made that great confession, the same confession that we make in our obedience to the gospel. And here we read in Acts chapter 2 that Peter was the one that spoke that sermon Acts 2, beginning with verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he continued his sermon from there, preaching unto the crowd in Jerusalem, Jesus. When asked by the men of Jerusalem what they should do, it was Peter who told them that they needed to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. Acts 2, verses 37 and 38. As tradition holds, it is said of Peter that he was also crucified on a cross but hanging upside down because he didn't want to be crucified as his Lord was. And then we come to James. We don't know a lot about James. But we do read of James in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Acts 12, beginning with verse 1. Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, 
So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. We read later in the chapter that much prayer was offered on Peter's behalf, and by the power of God he was able to escape from his chains. Acts 12, verses 5 and following. James, however, is believed to be the first of the apostles to be martyred for his faith. Each one of these three are significant. Not just in the eyes of Jesus, but as we look in Scripture, we see that they were significant in how they lived and in how they died. Let's go back to our text and Let's look again, beginning at verse 37. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. We read of the sorrow in Jesus' prayer. In Luke 22 and verse 44, we're given a detail that we're not given in the other Gospels. Luke 22 and verse 44, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Whether or not these were actually drops of blood or just like drops of blood, it still shows great agony that his sweat was mingled with blood. This was not an easy thing for Jesus to do. And even as we look at the promise that Jesus would be resurrected, it still was not an easy thing for Jesus to do. To go to the cross. And on this occasion, as Jesus was praying, He prayed not once, not twice, but three times, Let this cup pass from me. But He knew it wasn't within, even if it wasn't in His will, it was within the Father's will. And He came to do, as we've seen on other occasions, He came to do the will of His Father. And he was committed to the Father's will, no matter what it cost him. Even if it cost him his physical life. Even if it cost him pain and suffering. The agony that he was going through, even just before going to the cross. We can only imagine what he went through on the cross. But look at the pain and agony that he was going through before going to the cross. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, and again a second time, 
he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus, he saw his disciples in this moment of great agony. He came to them and he saw them sleeping. On the second occasion in which he came out, he says in verse 43, he came out and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. He understood also what they were going through. And he left them there to sleep. Verse 45, Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The one who betrayed him being Judas. He came. He gave him away with a kiss. And Jesus was arrested. He was put on trial. He was found guilty, though he had done nothing wrong. He was placed on a cross in punishment. And he died. All of these things are within a very short view of what we read in Jesus' prayer. We'll go back for a moment to the beginning of our lesson. We began in verse 31. Matthew 26 and verse 31. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. All of you will be made to stumble. Those that were with him, all of his apostles, would forsake him. And we read in verse 56 of the same chapter, But all of this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All of Jesus' disciples would forsake him in his greatest hour of need. After all the time that they had spent with Jesus, after all the things that they had experienced, all the things that they had seen Him do, Peter being the the closest to Jesus, at least in proximity, would be the one to deny knowing Jesus three times. He was there at the trial, and that's why he was asked that question. You, You were one of His disciples, weren't you? Oh, not me even to the point of cursing and swearing so as not to give himself away as a disciple. John returned to be with Jesus in his final moments and it was to him that care of Jesus' mother was entrusted. 
But all of them forsook Jesus, at least for a time. What would you do? What would you do? In verse 32, we read of a a great promise. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus did everything that he could to prepare his disciples for these final moments. For just knowing that they would forsake him, what to do following He left them this promise that if he were to die, he would also be resurrected from the dead. A promise made to them on multiple occasions in different ways. In Jesus' cleansing of the temple in John chapter 2, beginning with verse 18, it says, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered, And said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said to them. But in these moments, in these moments where Jesus went through his trial and went to the cross and when he died and was buried, it was hard for them to remember these things. But when they learned that he had been resurrected, that he had been raised from the dead, they remembered the promise that Jesus had made to them that He would rise again. That He would return. And Jesus kept His promise. They didn't understand what Jesus was telling them. They didn't understand that He was going to rise. But He did. And they remembered. They saw him alive again. And even today, even today, as we're looking at these moments of prayer, as we're looking at Jesus and as he is looking toward the cross and everything that would follow, we see that even today, Jesus continues to live. He is alive. We do not serve someone who who has passed away. We serve a God that continues to live. We sing the song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. 
Life is worth the living just because He lives. Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Or is that something that you're in need of doing today? Going back to Acts chapter 2, what Peter told people of Jerusalem, it's the same thing that, that we must obey today. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And if we're going to have remission of sins, we must be obedient to the same gospel plan that the people were obedient to on the day of Pentecost. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you have obeyed the gospel. Maybe you're in need of returning to, to faithful service of God. Maybe you realize that, that in your, your life you've not been as faithful as you should be. Maybe you need to ask for prayer on your behalf. Maybe it is that you need to ask for forgiveness for something that you've done. Maybe you need to repurpose, rededicate your life to Him. Whatever you stand in need of, if, if there is something that stands between you and, and Christ today, there's something that we can help you with. We'll be glad to, to help you in any way that we can, whether it be in obedience or repentance. You'll come as together we stand and sing.